Hey there, and welcome to Living Through It, a podcast for interesting times. I'm your host, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a recovering lawyer, world-renowned leadership expert, and lifelong progressive activist and organizer. Reminder that if you want to listen to this podcast ad-free, you can head on over to patreon.com slash living through it. That's patreon.com slash living through it. You can get access to our entire back catalog ad-free there. And also we have some special bonuses for our most favored listeners. Thanks so much for being here. And now here's this week's episode. Hey there, and welcome to our final episode of 2022. It's hard to believe we're here already. Uh, I'm so thrilled to welcome to the podcast this week, Jada Selner, whose name I mess up in the first few minutes of the podcast, as you will soon find out. Uh, it's a good moment, uh, as as Jada and I discuss, for uh, standing your ground, including about what your name is. Uh, I'm really excited to welcome her. Jada and I have been sort of circling around each other for a very long time now, um, as you're about to find out. And one of the things about Jada that I find so deeply inspiring is the way in which she encourages women and women entrepreneurs in particular to make sure that we don't lose sight of the things that really matter most to us. This is a little bit of a different discussion than what you might have come to be used to on Living Through It, but it was really important for me to end this year thinking very truthfully about how we maintain balance. One of the things that you're going to hear Jada talk about in this interview is the ways in which in different seasons of our life, we may need to arrange our priorities, whether that's politically, professionally, or personally, depending on the changing circumstances we encounter and the changing values that we have for ourselves in terms of what we want to do in the world and what we want in our own lives. So I think you'll find this episode to be a really good opportunity to consider where you've been in 2022 and what you might want to envision for 2023 as well. This is sort of a rolling, lots of laughter, lots of open discussion kind of podcast, and I hope you'll enjoy it very much. Okay, and welcome back. I'm so excited to welcome Jada Selner back to Living Through It, or to Living Through It, I should say, because you haven't been here before. But you and I are, uh, we've been circulating around each other for like a decade now, which is pretty crazy. Um, It's been a while. I mean, I can remember being kind of like a baby entrepreneur and seeing you on stage at Off the Charts. Um, back when you were running Simple Green Smoothies. And I remember having questions for you at the time about how you had built what you had built. Yeah. And um, and now here you are back with this incredible book, which we're going to talk about today called She Builds, uh, The Anti-Hustle Guide to Grow Your Business and Nourish Your Life, um, which I have just found so rewarding in the reading of it. So welcome. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you, Elizabeth. And I, it has been a wild journey of kind of the beginning of being in the online streets and just seeing the shifts and evolution of your body of work, of my body of work. And I also just want to make something that I've become 
built a better practice around. It's Jada, like Prada. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no worries. Jada, there we go. Yes. Got it. Jada, like Prada. That, that, that is super memorable. I'm so glad you corrected me. I Thank you for doing that. I used to not do that though. I would, and I would let people call me Jada for so many years. And then they're, then they're upset. Like, oh my goodness. Why? And so I've just gotten better with that. I used to not correct people and I've just gotten more empowered and putting it in different places where people could kind of get that that way to remember because it's a 50 50 chance jada jada and it's spelled very similar <laughs> i love it yeah well and naming is so important you know it's funny i have this strange thing that happens to me online where people call me liz without asking permission for that and i have never been a liz and uh often it's interesting because people will sort of weaponize it like sometimes it's like these white guys who are trying to get a rise out of me you call me a nickname that isn't my name yeah. and that's how it works so I am all about, you know, making sure that your name as it is, as chosen and as pronounced yes. is correctly handled. So Jada Selner, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I love it. You're very welcome. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, so I want to talk about She Builds because um, one of the things that has been so omnipresent for me lately is the way in which hustle culture in particular has like done so much damage to women entrepreneurs and um and in many ways how it kind of replicates these experiences of like competition amongst women in corporate environments as a result of patriarchy um for our audience which is you know largely made up of activists and organizers and also some people who are who still have you know jobs in the corporate world or who are entrepreneurs themselves um, we should probably define hustle culture because you and I know what it yes. is. I'm not sure our, our audience knows exactly what it yeah, is. Yeah, and I also want to say, even though this book was designed for entrepreneurs, that even when you're in a corporate structure, you're working for someone else's uh, business, their vision, you are still an entrepreneur inside that company. And a lot of these reframes, reflections are so helpful for us to really what really matters? How are we using our time, even if we're contributing to the growth of someone else's organi organization and making sure that, that our purpose and our values match with the company's values too? So I, I just wanted to preface that and say that. So I think with hustle culture, I actually want to open it. I'm like, all right, let's get, let's go to book church right now. Yes, please, please do. <laughs> so on page 16, um, I say that hustle is a lie and I just want to define this right here. So like many female entrepreneurs who have absorbed messages from the male dominated business world on what it means to be a real entrepreneur. And I think that piece is really important because when we have this male dominated narrative, then we start to believe if we don't look like that, don't sound like that, don't talk like that, then we must be wrong. And I have had that experience my own self of thinking, oh, I'm not operating the way this person is operating their business. So I'm not a real entrepreneur or I'm not a real person that's contributing to something bigger in the world. So I think that piece is really important. Um, and so I say I had bought into the hustle culture working long hours, feeling guilty if I spent time on anything non-work related and sacrificing my personal well-being to build my business or for those who are working for others, building someone else's business. And no one was forcing me to hustle. So sometimes we have this thing where we are actually creating that forcing within ourselves because 
of the patriarchy making us think that this is the way that things are supposed to be. Instead, the sneaky subliminal messaging of the patriarchy was telling me, you're not smart enough, you're not fast enough, you're not doing enough. So that is really the hustle culture is making us think that we are not performing, we're not doing anything fast enough. So there is this lack, this deficiency that we are feeling at the start of a, of the starting line that we have, we're not enough and that we have to prove that we have to prove our worthiness, our value to even exist in the world and what we are building or creating or contributing. And so that is how I would define hustle culture. Yeah, it's it's something that I think has so insidiously impacted so many of us without realizing it. Like I can remember, you know, 2014, 2015, when my business really started to scale, what the experience was like being like, okay, I'm in it, hustle. That's right. I'm going to hustle. That's what it's about. And yeah. you still see that lingo a lot, a lot of places on Instagram and the like. Um, and it's funny how it kind of gets under your skin. You know, I'm just thinking of some examples I've seen recently where, um, you know, I see people selling programs to other entrepreneurs that seem like they're kind of almost like get rich quick schemes that are imbued with the stuff of like, you know, if you're, I'm making a million dollars a month or I'm making a million dollars a day or I'm flying private and, you know, that's all like what we should all be aiming for. And I think that it really undercuts the idea of enoughness, which, you know, is obviously one thing that you talk about in the book, right? It's like, we really are enough and it's okay to build a business that sustains our families and puts food on our table, right? And that maybe lives into our purpose. Yes. And I think that piece uh, you were talking about, um, and you kind of named this um, previous to us recording is performative capitalism, right? Of that this is what success looks like is having a million dollar, what first it was million dollar years, then it was million dollar months. And now we're like million dollar days. And it's interesting, but that is part of hustle culture is where we have a finish line, but we just keep moving it. We keep moving it further and further ahead. So we've actually never truly arrived. And so something that I talk about in She Builds is to define your enough number. Truly, what is enough to sustain your family, yourself, your livelihood? And let that be enough so that you're not hustling just for the sake of hustling. And also when we can define our enough from the inside out versus allowing it to to be defined of what is a real entrepreneur, what is successful amount of money to have. Because even if you have a million dollar year, you might be taking home the same amount of profit as someone who has a, uh, you know, business. And so I think it's very hard for people because you're just seeing the outside, this like mirage of success. And then we're chasing this. And I see it so often where you're like, okay, I just want to make enough so that I make, I replace the income with a nine to five that I have. Then you arrive there. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, six figures sounds really sexy. Um, Let me have that. And then you get there and you're like, I would like to double. Could I have multiple six figures? And then all of a sudden we make this huge ginormous leap to 10X and all of a sudden we're wanting seven figure and that we are not worthy. We are not valuable. I have so many clients of mine who 
think that they have to do so many things in order to do the thing that they really want to do. Like I need to have a seven figure business in order to coach and guide other people. It's just an interesting, fascinating thing that we put in front of us, or I have to write a book in order to do this. It's, it's, it's this if then scenario that happens that holds us back from our purpose and our joy. And then we start to think that we are lazy, um, that we are not, you know, it's like the, the pace that we move and create, if we don't accomplish this metric, this goal by a certain amount of time, then we are lacking, then we are behind, then we are not moving fast enough. And that's why I think it is so important for us to define enough and then also to allow ourselves, like give ourselves permission. I talk about this in the book to be a slow cooker, that we don't have to be pressure cookers in our business because you know, for anyone who has a pressure cooker, it's very complicated. There's a lot of buttons. There's the burn notice that comes on and then you have to release the steam. And that steam is intense. Like for us, we're like throwing towels on top of it. Like how do we (laughs) like manage this? So you, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? You can get a nourishing meal from that process. It's very quick. It's very efficient. It's also very complex, complicated, and intense. For me, my nervous system feels so much more calmer, so much more present when I allow things to simmer. With a slow cooker, we have two options, four hours or eight hours, step away, let it simmer, do whatever else you need to do in your life, come back and you have the same result and outcome. It just takes longer. And that is where this dominant culture makes us think that we have to move and accelerate so fast to 2x, 5x, 10x, and then we're not enjoying the process either. So for me, I have really allowed myself to be a slow cooker in my business, in my life. Everything takes me longer. It takes me, you know, three years to realize a vision, not 30 days or 90 days. So to me, I like to expand and extend the timeline and say, don't put a timeline on your dreams. You can put a timeline on your actions. And then that's going to give you a lot more information of of how your capacity, like how much energy and time do you actually have to get to where you're going? Yeah, I love that. You know, it's interesting because it dovetails in in an interesting sort of way with an interview that I did with Brandon Wolf a a few weeks ago on the podcast. And, you know, he's a pulse survivor and press secretary for Equality Florida. And one of the things that he talked about in that interview was about the fact that um, you don't have to run for office and you don't have to run an organization or an NGO. You can just show up as who you are at that moment in your authentic self and give other people permission to do the same. And that in and of itself can create ripples. And I do think that it it parallels some of what you're saying, because I think a lot of us, I know I've done this, right? Where I've thought to myself, like, who am I at this moment or in this place, or while I'm struggling with this issue personally that nobody knows about, who am I to be out there doing this? Or am I really doing enough? Ironically enough, I know there are listeners to this podcast who will find this really crazy, but I've had moments where I've thought, have I really made an impact on people? And then I, you know, I get emails, but I I, like, like, I think a lot of people, I have a hard time taking that in, right? Um, Because we're also indoctrinated into this idea of, um, of, what is fundamentally an imposter complex, although I, of course, reframe it, and I know you do as well, 
as really like internalized depression. Like the imposter complex is like, you're not worthy. You don't belong here. And I think for a lot of women, for a lot of women of color, for a lot of LGBTQ people, it's really hard to just even take up the space of being yourself, let alone in business, let alone out in the world and recognize that that really that can be it. You know, you can run a small business. You can have a, you know, a small activist footprint and still be making a difference in ways that you may not be able to see. Absolutely. And we need those to exist. We need those small steps that that activist print, like you to be able to show up in those ways, because part of staying in social change and being able to create this ripple effect impact in the world is we have to sustain ourselves. If we burn out, if we deplete, if we're exhausted, we're not going to be able to give even in the small bit. So we really have to honor the season of life that we're in and what is our true capacity. And sometimes your world-changing mission is to be fully present with, if you are a caregiver, if you're raising tiny humans that are gonna be the next generation of world changers in the world, just being present with them, creating psychological safety, being able to allow them to express their full range of emotions, to teach them coping strategies like that. To me, my, my kid is 15 right now. And, you know, there's all of the test anxiety, social anxiety, all of these pieces. And I'm like, oh, my job right now is to be able to support them to create coping strategies, self-soothing, how to take care of yourself in times of stress and overwhelm. And so the things that I teach in the book, I am creating that space for my own kid to be able to have that because the uncertainty, the injustice, all of these pieces, you know, I'm a woman of color, black, Chinese, and white. My kid also has an extra layer of Filipino in there as well. And curvy bodies, like all of these marginalized voices, lived experiences, embodied experiences, that's not going to go away. And so we need to be able to cope. We need to be able to self-soothe. And if we can teach our kids, if you are a caregiver, that that is revolutionary to allow that yeah. person to be healed and whole and have the tools to survive because shit's getting real out there. <laughs> I, I mean, right, right. I mean, you know, I'm raising a non-binary kid as one of my children, and I have a neurodivergent kid as well. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think we diminish so much, but it's funny because, you know, I want to talk about the values exercises in the book because you're really big on this as well. And I think this is like so useful to our audience, but I've spent a lot of time in the last just few days thinking through like, what do I really value? Like, what do I really deeply value? And some of those things are kind of obvious, right? They are things like freedom and justice and equity and, um, you know, everybody having what they need, right? Um, All the things that, you know, you and I've talked about in other formats. And simultaneously, what, what I really value right now, and this is one of my big realizations, was um, safety for my children and giving them the ability, as you said, to self-regulate, giving them the ability to soothe and having a safe space for them at home and creating that for them in everything that I do, which obviously extends out into the activist world because it's all for them. Just, you know what I mean? Like the next generation, right? Um, So I want to, I want to just talk through that a little bit because you have some wonderful exercises in the book, which I think will really resonate for people. 
um, that are about how we identify what we want to live into in our work and out in the world. Yeah. So there's an exercise in the book that um, being able to imagine your next level vision and next level truly is for you. And I also want to name that in this season of uncertainty, of social unrest, that sometimes it's actually really hard to dream. It's really hard to think about what do I want even 30 days from now because everything is so infrequent, constantly shifting and adjusting. So I just want to, I want to name that this can, can be triggering for some people. I I actually do a lot of these exercises inside the book with my husband. We've been married for over 17 years and we do this annual, you know, new year retreat and we reflect on What do you want to say? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just laughing because there are so many good stories about you and George in the book oh, yeah. <laughs> that are like so sweet and so resonant. But I'm just thinking about the one where you talk about wanting him to focus on the vision board and like the effort that it takes to do that. And I will just say that like everybody that I know who's ever like been in a relationship where they're trying to compel a partner to do that work knows how hard it is sometimes. Like, cause you get stuck in the day to day, you're stuck in your ruts, you're, you know, paying the bills and you're taking care of the kids and then everything's happening out in the world. So I'm sorry for interrupting. I love love it. (laughs) And I love that that resonated with you and and it took many years. It was like just the vision board. And now we do full like three day retreats together where we're really, celebrating ourselves. That, that's one thing I want to say when you were talking about the the not enough of um, something that I learned from my life coach, Rebecca McLaughlin, is to take your vitamin V, V, to validate yourself, to be able to celebrate what you have already done and what you are already doing. That can help you reconnect to that. I am doing something. I am doing enough. Really acknowledging that because in our society, it makes us want to think that there's more to do. We have to keep chasing all of those pieces. So there, there's this tension between our ambition and then also wanting to be present in our in our lives right now that what's happening. So I just wanted to say that. So my husband and I, we, we do a lot of these exercises. I've gotten him to do way more, but my husband is a musician. He teaches children's music and he had a really hard time during the pandemic because he could not teach classes and did a little bit of Zoom. But then after a while, the kids are like on the couch, they're off screen. It's like, where did these little toddlers go? Um, And it was really challenging for him last year to dream. So I just, I just want to, I, in sharing this exercise, I want to say that some of these sections and parts might feel like a struggle when you have experience so many things being taken away, your livelihood, your purpose of those pieces that were so in place. And then you have something that is, we're trying to take care of the whole world and our health that disrupts your own day-to-day living experience. So I, I, I want to name that. Um, so I'll open to <laughs> book church. Uh, so on page 52 of She Builds, I talk about imagine your next level vision. And there's these four categories. So we have um, emotional, how do you want to feel? really connecting to that part of yourself of how do I want to feel 
in my day-to-day life? How do I want to feel in this next year that's coming up, right? Of really connecting. For me, it's always, I want to be present. I want to feel energized. I want to feel engaged in what I'm up to. But you'll, if you do this exercise at least once a year, you'll have new words. Some are like wild and sensual and all of these pieces. Uh, then we have the physical, which is what experiences would you enjoy? So really connecting to the experiences. And this can be in inside your work world. It can also be inside your personal life. That could be travel. It could be, oh, I want to host board game nights at my house. It it can be so simple in these day-to-day experiences. And it can also be some of these things that might feel more materialistic of like, oh, I would like to own a house with a hot tub in the backyard, whatever those things are. But really thinking about experiences that you you as us and our human bodies on this earth, what do we want to experience? And then there's the intellectual. What do you want to learn? And this is really allowing ourselves to grow. This can be in any area from your health and your wellness and your vitality. You know, maybe there's a habit of, you know, I would like to build a meditation practice um, or how to self-regulate emotions. Those type of things um, can also be, oh, I, I want to, for me, I want to really be on this journey of building the craft of writing. So it's like, I'm going to take poetry classes. I'm going to take writing classes, learn about memoir writing, all of these different pieces. So it's what do you want to learn? And then the last piece is spiritual. How do you want to serve? And this is your contribution to the world. So being able to dream and ideate, which we call the blue sky period in in TV, Um, just being able to give yourself permission to dream without needing to know how it's going to happen, how much is it going to cost to make it happen, and when. It's just creating this space to brainstorm and allow yourself and give yourself that you are worthy, that your desires are worthy to be known even if they don't happen in this lifetime, just knowing what it is that would make you feel alive and present and connected and contributing and serving in the world. So that's the next level vision exercise. It's a very simple thing. I actually have my kid who's 15. They do it with us um, on our um, annual you know, visioning retreats. And it's so much fun when you start to have your kids and learning, what are they interested in? What do they want to learn? How do they want to feel? What do they want to experience? And and my kid is always, you know, I want board game nights on Friday nights as a family. And it's just so beautiful. And also seeing where their heart is and how do they want to contribute and serve in the world too. So it's a very holistic way of connecting to your vision and dreams. Um, And it gives you the what and the why, the meaning behind the metrics of if you're wanting to make money, you know, in someone else's business or growing your own business, you start to go, oh, this is how I want my life to look and feel what I want to experience, how I want to give back. And now you have somewhere for those resources of money, like where is it going to and what is it for? Yeah. It's so useful to me to think about it in in those terms, In, in part because one of the things that I've just been considering lately and we had a not Shankar Osorio, who you may know, who's like a messaging expert on a few weeks ago. And she was talking about how hard it is right now to sort of sell the future, the imagination of what the world could look like, because we've never had a world that's like truly equitable, yeah. just in the ways that, you know, in our own intimate lives, we may never have 
we may never have built a business before. We may never have envisioned ourselves having a certain level of uh, purpose in our lives. And so the imagination work to me is so much like a muscle. It's like once you start really working it, it becomes easier to access. And I'll also just add that the spiritual component, man, I feel like we neglect this so often. And yet lately for me, particularly over the last year, I've thought a lot just about how so much of what we are trying to achieve in the world is 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 really deeply spiritual. It's about what we believe yeah. things should look like. It's about our interconnectedness. It's about the ways in which we overcome systems and things that we're taught um, through our own self-awareness. And so, you know, I'll just add in here that in addition to the kind of like physical experiences, as you mentioned, and everything else, it's like the revolution has to be spiritual as well. Yes. It's got to be deeply spiritual because it is personal as much as it's political. And so I feel like this exercise, um, and there are so many good ones in the book, but this one in particular really just spoke to me in the context of how, you know, not just heading into 2023, but really in terms of future building generally, yes. we can access all the aspects of what we need to bring to the table in order to create the change we want. And I think it's really important what you were saying for us. I wrote She Builds because when I became an entrepreneur over 14 years ago, the books that I was reading about entrepreneurship were written by white male Ivy League college educated men with no with venture capital investment. And and no and no caregiving responsibilities. So they're yes. also not in partnership. They're not married. They are not raising kids or caregiving for elders, traveling the world. It's I I got strategies and I adopted them, but I had a hard time believing what they were selling was possible for me because they didn't look like me. I don't have a college degree. You know, I'm black, Chinese, and white. I, uh, a woman of color, married. I have all of these responsibilities, people that are needing me. I can't just quit my job. I can't just not work. I can't just not provide income for my family. So I became an entrepreneur out of necessity because I was building during a recession in 2008, 2009. I didn't know that's what we were moving into, um, but nobody was hiring at that time. No one was right. hiring my husband and no one was hiring me. So we had to create our own work by how do we fill a need in the community so that we can pay our bills? And I think it's so important that we see more diverse stories saying how to build, how to create, how to dream, I think is so important that we see even manifesting and vision, like that stuff can be very traumatizing for black bodies who didn't grow up with those examples um, to just like, it, it can be a lot of spiritual bypassing, a lot of gaslighting that yes. happens in that experience when people are in survival mode. So when you are in survival mode, and I talk about that in the vision board story, it is really difficult to dream in those seasons. And I'm trying to model that even when it was so hard to just like, how can I get a car that just works? Our car was yeah. breaking down. We had, you know, we called our our Toyota Corolla. His, his name was Joe Boo and like wasn't getting very far. Um, but it was the dreaming that unlocked the possibility for me, even though it was extremely hard to do in a season of survival and just trying to make sure that we have enough money to pay for groceries. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I have to quote Dana Lynn Knuckles here, who I just am such a huge fan of because, you know, she describes liberation as collective imagining. Mm -hmm. And if we can't collectively imagine a better future, we're not going to be able to achieve it. And I agree with you so much. I mean, one of the things that I will just say, you know, coming out of the coaching world initially, before we really made our big leap into leadership and political activism and political leadership consulting here, you know, one of the things that um, I encountered all the time was this thing of like, well, you can just manifest that, you know, that boat in your driveway and you can just manifest. And, you know, I have to say that I feel like that also is, it, it is its own form of spiritual bypassing because it blames the individual for the conditions that we face. And, you know, you've had your own challenges. I, as a single mother, as an entrepreneur, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, like I work from like 5 a.m. till about 2.30 every day. You know, I don't, I don't do the kind of like, classic hours. And sometimes I have to come back to it after I put the kids to bed. And, you know, there are ways in which we're still not seeing models of women who look like you and me being represented out there in, in the culture. I mean, and in fact, this is one thing I was going to just to circle back to hustle culture for a minute. One thing that has been really troubling to me is that a lot of the women who are out there selling hustle culture right now are not really talking about the fact that like, you know, their husband has a business degree and he's actually running all the financial stuff on the side of the business, or they've got a partner who is doing all of the programming so that they don't have to hire someone. The tech to do- support, the yes. like the, those things that are hard. I, I completely agree. Also, um, or even just being the primary care provider at home. Yeah, or, the primary caregiver or, or the, bread, yes, the breadwinner, yes, which is often not disclosed. Yes, not dis- like I'm thinking about someone that I know, I'm not, no names yes. to name here, but you know, whose husband is like a huge real estate developer. And like, she doesn't ever disclose this yeah. when she's talking about her beautiful, enormous house and like all the money that we have and the rocks that she's wearing. And you know, like, so, so, so much of this, I think, is also understanding. And, you know, it's funny how this is becoming a generational discussion. Also, I just have to say for those of us who've been doing this for a while, because I I think that, um, you know, where women's entrepreneurship was coming out of the recession, where a lot of women were forced into it, I was forced into it in a certain way. You obviously were, there's whole stories about this in the book. Um, You know, one of the things that I think wasn't discussed very often was that um, the models, again, speaking of those that were held up to us, were not actually representative Mm -hmm. of what the experience of entrepreneurship is like for a lot of us and that we are scrappy. We're still scrappy, right? Like I still have to do things on the back end of my business to every single day that nobody knows about. So it's just, it's fascinating how um, we need to be more, just more honest and more honorable about it. Um, And also do the work of, you know, telling the truth. Yes. I mean, you're telling the truth about your experiences of it. There are stories about you living in the book, living in the back of the childcare yes. center that you and your husband ran as your first business. Cause you didn't have any money. You had to move out of the place that you were paying rent on. And, you know, I mean, I think about it for me, a lot of people don't know that I still had to practice law part-time uh, after one year of trying to make it on my own. I went back part time because we couldn't, I couldn't make ends meet. And I did that for like two years. And I love, so, you know, there's, yeah, I I love that you shared that because there's also a lot of shame when you're building an entrepreneurial business or something on the side that you even have to do work somewhere else, that you have to make income to, 
to fund, you know, I talk about cash yep. projects and heart projects. And sometimes yep. your, your day-to-day nine to five is a cash project. And then you only have two hours a week to build on that heart project or that yeah. side business. And I think it, that model for us to share more of that. And also another piece of that performative capitalism, I saw myself getting, I don't share this in the book, but I saw myself getting swept in that because the people that I was looking up to in entrepreneurship was, oh, you take a picture next to Oprah, you take a picture next to Richard Branson, and that means that you made it and other people will invest and believe that you are worthy and a true entrepreneurship. And so I remember actually investing in an experience that was to be with Richard Branson, which I think there's some problematic things in that arena. Yes. And I yeah. I really had to get real with myself of like, why am I saying yes to this opportunity? And I actually, yes. I opted out of it because I am a business coach, a mentor to other people. And I didn't want to perpetuate this visual story of like, you're going to have to pay to play and be with these people that are up on this pedestal to prove that you are a worthy entrepreneur. So I don't share this huge like lifestyle. I have a beautiful, rich lifestyle behind the scenes with friends and travel. and But I try not to highlight that as the success metric for yeah. your business, because it, I think that it's very harmful um, and then creates that story of I'm not a real entrepreneur unless I've taken a picture with yeah. this person or been with that person or went to that event or, per, you know, contributed five figures of this over here and there. And it's just not necessary. And so we don't have to keep perpetuating that visual story, that narrative of what that means you made it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the other thing that's interesting about that is that it's kind of like the idea that privilege rubs off on you, right? As opposed to the idea that what, again, here we are again on this topic, but like what you are is enough, right? That like you have to be standing next to the man who owned the white man, notably, Mm -hmm. who owns his own private island in order for you to have made it, quote unquote, right? Um, and and often you're paying enormous amounts for that. I mean, I can remember getting really, really angry in the middle of the pandemic about something. And I, this is something I don't talk about very often, but seeing somebody selling, it, I think it was like a $15,000 weekend for entrepreneurs in the middle of the pandemic, no masks, like, you know, and, you know, it was billed as one of these like luxury experiences for entrepreneurs. And I can remember thinking to myself, like, There are mothers that I know in my own community who would be thrilled, thrilled to have $15,000 in extra income right now because things are so precarious that that would be probably be the difference between like their kid getting like, you know, an extra pair of shoes and getting to play soccer or something like that, um, you know, over the course of the next few years. And here we are saying that in order for you to know how to be a good entrepreneur, you've got to cash in on all this stuff. So, I mean, I get really, I get really irritated about it. And part of it is also, I think, because we're, um, we're buying into these old school hierarchical ideas of what leadership looks like to begin with, you know, like we can be tremendous business people, meaning like providing for ourselves and our families, without having to be at like extreme wealth, which by the way, requires you to exploit the labor of other people anyway. Like we all need help yeah. and that's a little bit different, but you know, like I have moments where I'm like, you can't be the 
true capitalist without exploiting a lot of other people's labor? And is that really what we want to aim yeah. for? So you know, the issues are very complicated in all of this. And it's nice to have a really candid conversation yeah. with you about it, frankly, because this stuff ticks around in my head all the time when I see these things yeah. and think to myself, like, what are you taking off of people for the sake of your own wealth? that actually undermines their own perceptions of themselves. And that to me just doesn't seem, it's not good karma. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not to say that we can't charge more or have these higher level ex- experiences, sure. it's, you know, being able to be aware of equity and access and yes. those pieces and not making people feel bad. Like this is the, the way or the only yeah. way, because there's someone that might want to invest in that type of experience for, for whatever reason. So I, I, I like to hold that both can coexist, but we have yeah. to do it in a way that's not harming and perpetuating a message that makes people feel that they are not doing enough, that they're not making enough. So we need more diverse stories and experiences sure. of what, success looks like, what accessibility looks like, um, you yeah. know, for, for, for even me, you know, I have, it's definitely not inexpensive to work with me, but that's why I put every tool and strategy. I, I didn't write a funnel book, you know, where it's like, and yeah. in order yeah, to yeah. get access, you must go through, you know, it's, I truly put every exercise that I do with my own clients that I do with yeah. myself to have grown my business, because that's what helped me when I didn't have money it was my mentors from afar in books that I could check out from the library and, sure. you know, free webinars or whatever those, those, those free things yeah. are helpful for people who don't have the financial resources. Yeah. And I also think that we can model creative ways of how do we take care of teen. That is something that even I have someone on my team who's been with me for over seven years and have coached her into like, I'm constantly checking in. Do you have enough? Like, are, like, do you have, how is your client load? What are, you know, do you have enough hours? Are you making enough? Oh, here's a way, yeah. even coaching them to increase their rates with me of like, what yeah. do you need to, if you only want this amount of people and you only want to work this amount of hours, what do you need? And here's a great way to make a request to increase your pricing of how you could support me, you could support others and like, hey, I can, I can yeah. actually help with you and give you more hours. So that's a different way of looking at, how to have that support and be equitable and checking in. Do they have enough? And we do profit sharing here too, which I think a lot of people on an entrepreneur level don't even think about. Like, you you know, because go ahead. I just, I was just curious if you're open or maybe, you know what? I will have you on my podcast and I will ask you about profit sharing because I'm really interested (laughs) and I think we need more models of, of how that works because a lot of people don't do that. And then when they yeah. do, they don't talk about it. I think it's a very important, it's, it's helpful for people to. Yeah. I mean, I will just say that I think that it's for us, it's been a really interesting experiment. And, you know, like one of the things that I, t- I talk about in my book, yes. <laughs> which is called Becoming Heroines, I think everybody knows that, is that there are all these models of leadership that we don't talk about very often, including these kind of non-hierarchical models of leadership where essentially everybody leads at certain points within the group yes. and our business Small as it is, though, that's one of the things that we've thought about a lot and that actually really works. Like, I'm really fortunate. I have somebody who's been on my team for five years, speaking of which, you know, like long-term people. One of the things that's really amazing is that there are times where, you know, she will say to me, like, 
okay, yes, we know you're the visionary Elizabeth, but like you're so far out there on this that it's really yes. not gonna work if you try it, right? Um, and the other thing I'll say is that we're all on this team like um, multi-talented, multi-certified people. So even my operations person is like a hypnotherapist and does all this work on vagal nerve issues and things like that. And, you know, so we we have people on our team who are good at a number of disciplines. Yeah. And part of what has been... Um, what has made our experience so rich and rewarding. And, you know, by the way, this is, I think this works not just for business, but also for like organizing and activism is like everybody brings different gifts to the table. And the more that you are able to value what those gifts are and share yeah. resources around how people share their gifts, the more equitable it actually becomes. So like if anybody on my team comes to me and says, for instance, I have this brilliant idea for something that I want to do. And I want to put it out to the community. And can we split the revenue on it? You know, because like it's an enormous opportunity for them. It's a good opportunity for me. And we figure out we've the percentages have differed over the years, but we have ways that we do this. My answer is always yes, right? Because they've got things they can offer that I can't offer. And my platform is not just mine. This is one of the other things that I think about here is that even with um, you know, the kind of tremendous followings that both you and I have built in various ways, you know, some, some of them intentional, some of them not so intentional on my part, but you know, like here we are, you know, I feel like that is not just that asset doesn't just belong to me. It belongs to everyone who's been with me along the way, who's helped to cultivate it and maintain it. And so why should people benefit financially off of that as a part of the work? You know, I mean, it, and I know that's, that's not what we're taught to do, you know, like that's one of the things that bugs me about these like million dollar month things is like, well, that million dollar month isn't just you, yeah, right? Yeah. That million dollar month is like, it's, it's everybody behind the scenes with you. Yes. It's like, you know, it's probably even your therapist. Yeah. So like, you know, the, you know, everybody who's, you know, who's been there, who does operations, who manages your, co- your content and your customer database. And like, it really does belong to everyone. And I think it's really one of the things that more of us need to do is talk about the ways in which um, it is a team effort and we all need support and that that's actually part of doing it holistically and healthfully like you talk about in the book. Yeah, and I I love that of really thinking about who are all the people that support you emotionally, logistically, and how can you support them to win too? Like I think about that of um, even when you're mentioning like your therapist and like my life coach, like I incorporate those people in- Who you talk about all the time in the book. Yeah. (laughs) But I also incorporate them into my programs because I'm like, yeah, we, there's no magic bullet to success. And it's like, listen, I have a life coach in my corner who's helping me move through my emotional blocks. We think that uh, we just need the next strategy or the next whatever step-by-step blueprint. And it's like, you could have all the strategies in the world, but if there is an emotional block, if you are facing procrastination, resistance, avoidance, usually there's something that needs to be tended to. And so I incorporate that into my coaching practice so that people have that. And also my life coach is being exposed to new clients. And I'm not, I'm not, it's like I pay her to participate in my programs. And then also, and I'm not taking percentage of anyone who decides to hire her privately, really exploring what are those ways of how people support you and how can you help them win and, and lift up in their body of work as well. Yeah. And I think that's also part, frankly, I think about this a lot more and this is probably a conversation for another time, but I think all the time about wealth redistribution these days and how we can do it, how, how we can not become 
wealth hoarders ourselves, but actually make sure that everyone has enough. And so to me, these conversations, I mean, I didn't know this is where we were going to go in this interview, but I mean, it's fascinating to me how women entrepreneurs and historically marginalized people who are entrepreneurs are starting to talk about these sorts of things as strategies. It, I mean, it almost goes along with like old school methods of dual power. You know, when I think about kind of like, you know, black revolutionaries who have been on this dual power kick for people who don't know what dual power is, I should just explain it. It's the idea that you build alternative systems of survival alongside the ones that are crumbling. And one of the things that's really great, I mean, just to tout it about entrepreneurship, <laughs> you know, because we talked about all the things that are like, you know, are tricky yes. about it, uh, you know, on this, but you know, one of the things that's really great about it is you do actually get control back in many ways over your own time. And while there is struggle and everybody should have health insurance and everybody should have universal basic income, there's also just tremendous liberation in many ways in um, being able to, to organize your own life yes. and your time in ways that make the most sense for you. And I think, um, you know, there's a revolutionary capacity in both what you and I are doing and talking about here yeah. that probably should be mined further, maybe on another. I, I agree because I think about my own clients and how they're building out their values within their companies, and it's it's very challenging because they're disrupting yeah. culture, company culture, and workflow, and being able to have more flexibility, but also it's still a business that needs to make yes. money that, and, you know, oftentimes founders sometimes aren't even paying their own payroll to themselves th to take care of their right. team and those. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a growth edge and it's definitely revolutionizing the way that we work, the future of work. It's very beautiful and inspiring. And also it's, it's, it's work, it's extra effort yeah to want to create the change that you want to see in the world for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I have to, this has been so much fun. I have to ask you the three questions we ask all of our guests. Um, so the first one is what keeps you going? Yes. For me, relationships and that's R-E-A-L relationships, not R-E-E-L. Um, I truly, I'm such a connector. I'm a social introvert. I love cozy, deep conversations. And I truly, my, like my bank account, like how I look at wealth is through my relationships with my family, with my loved ones, with my friends. I feel so rich in the weave of relationships and friendships that I have built over the years. And that is what sustains me in seasons of high celebration and um, being able to express myself, but also in those seasons of grief and when things are hard and, and in nurturing and nourishing my friendships and relationships along these years, I have not only learned how to give love, I, I feel like us who are givers, we want to make a difference in the world, all of that. But now I'm learning how to receive love, how to be helped and not have to feel this sense of I need to give something back in return right away. So that has been a beautiful practice. And then as I learn how to friend and build relationships with others and be vulnerable is that I'm also learning how to be a better friend to myself. Brilliant. I mean, one of the things also that I just feel like is so necessary right now is for us to really redefine what success and wealth looks like. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the same boat, you know, just as I was saying to you a few minutes ago, the way in which I th I'm thinking about what really are, what are the things I value the most right now? You know, I'm, I'm 
I'm just so invested in making sure that the relationships around me are being sustained in a healthy way. And also that I'm sustaining myself in a healthy way. I mean, we didn't even talk about burnout and how much that's (laughs) such a focus of what the book is about. But I mean, like you and I have both been there and have done it to the point where it's like the the looming costs had we continued on that path would have been extremely high. And, um, and so I think the idea that our wealth is found in the relationships that we build and who we love and how they uh, they feel about us and how they love us and how we give and take in all of that, defining that as the ultimate wealth is like just such a beautiful way of looking at the world. Um, so thank you for that. Um, okay, next question. What are your most pressing concerns about the state of America and the world right now? So I really took, there, there's so many things on, on a global yeah. <laughs> global scale. <laughs> So I, I really wanted to take it from the inside out um, because I think that's where leadership starts. And for me, you know, I, I identify as being a highly sensitive person. I have, you know, just, and I'm an empath and all of those pieces. So when so much is going on in the world, my response is to freeze. And so I really loved your um, road to hope invitation and I got to participate in that live. And I think that it's so important for us to regulate our nervous systems for those who care so deeply and feel so deeply um, for us to really be able to regulate our nervous systems in a way that we don't freeze in moments of crisis so that we can show up and care. So I have been really following this impulse of generosity And I think it really ties back to this enoughness. So what happens is in times of crisis, it's like, oh, which, where do I go? It's overwhelming. That's another freeze response that happens. And so I I really want more uh, collective care for people that are highly sensitive, that um, have nervous systems that, you know, need to regulate more due to trauma so that we stay in the game, that we stay in the fight for the things that really matter to us. And so for me, I'm always following that impulse of generosity of how can I give in the moment and not overthink it um, of of all the different things that need our attention in the world right now. So that's been kind of my way of showing up. It's like, okay, someone said, this is where you donate, just do it and not overthink it and work your way out of giving at all. Um, So to me, it's really that there's so many things that are going on in the world and I think needs so much tending to. And I think something that you shared in Road to Hope was connecting to just like, what's the one thing right now that you can hook on to in this moment, in this season? And that piece um, has really spoken to me so that we don't feel like we have to fit all of those pieces. And I want to share something um, because Lizzo, I I, I love what she said. (laughs) So I have to quote her. Genius. Genius. I can't. The people choice. There's not a thing that woman can do. If you can like link to that that video because it was so good. But, you know, she was saying, I don't need a trophy for championing people. But she said to be an icon isn't about how long you've had your platform. Being an icon is what you do with that platform. And ever since the beginning of my career, I've used my platform to amplify marginalized voices. So for me, I'm not the one that is leading an NGO or leading a nonprofit organization of of standing in the fire of that, but 
I, what I can do is uplift marginalized voices to follow them, to advocate for them, to see where the resources are and be a curator of those resources without me having to take it all on. It's like, what is my small part to contribute into that? And I just love, I just love that she is modeling that for all of us to uplift marginalized voices in this, in this season of where the, the sea of voices can be dominated by white male culture. <laughs> yes. White cishet men and white women as well, because this is something that I'm really big on right now is how we as white women have to collect our own and also simultaneously do exactly what you're describing. And it's, you know, one of the reasons why I'm always thinking about who who I'm connected with and who I know and who I work with, who other people who are more, you know, obviously living in white bodies might not be aware of, yes. might not be listening to, might not be seeing. And I feel like that is, that's such an important message that, you know, that, that also that amplification um, is such a service yeah. to others, you know, so so I love that. Well, I think you answered our third question already. So I'm not even going to ask you. And we're like, we've already spent an hour doing this, which is amazing. I'm so grateful to you, Jada, like Prada Selner. Thank you very much for being here with us today. The book is called She Builds, The Anti-Hustle Guide to Grow Your Business and Nourish Your Life. Highly recommend this to everyone. It's a great light and not so light, but easy read, I guess is what I mean by that, um, over New Year's and perfect to start your 2023 off right. So thank you so much for being here, Jada. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Elizabeth. You're welcome. I hope that you've took from this discussion that there is great promise in the current moment to really consider thoroughly what you value. That's one of my biggest takeaways from Jada's book, certainly one of my biggest takeaways from this interview. And I think it's a real moment of consideration in terms of what we envision and what we imagine might be possible and how we work to transform the and how we work to transform the world from the inside out. I hope you'll consider all of these things as you head into your New Year's Eve and your New Year's Day and into the coming year. And given that this is our last episode of 2022, I just want to express my gratitude to all of our listeners. We've been here now since September. This has been a great rebirth and point of joy for me in my own professional career, my own life. So thank you all for being here. Please hit the subscribe button. I can't wait to see you in 2023. And I hope you enjoy your New Year's celebrations very much. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. If you want to know more about me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, head on over to GaiaLeadershipProject.com, where you can check out all our in-person and virtual leadership programs for folks who want to create change at work, at home, and in the world. You can also read my essays on politics, law, and change at newsletterwithecm.substack.com. And last, but definitely not least, you can listen to all our episodes of Living Through It ad-free over on Patreon at patreon.com slash living through it. That's patreon.com slash living through it. Thanks for listening and see you next week.